Welcome to Coffee with the Sarlows. We are your hosts of the show, Karen and Kelly Sarlow. Whether you're struggling with grief or you just need answers, we connect you with spirit to find relief, clarity, and direction in life. We can help you move forward. Hello, Kelly, and Happy New Year. Happy New Year, Karen. We have Winston starting out the new year with us, Mm -hmm. hoping that he's going to make every podcast show with us. Maybe. (laughs) I hope so. Just the smell of him alone is we're sitting on the couch and telling stories. Okay, bye. (laughs) (laughs) Um, This is a medium story today, and the, well, the client is a female. It's his wife. And they're two children, and the children are adults, and I don't need names for them because they are wife and two kids. How's that? Mm-hmm. Um, so it's the husband slash dad, and could I have a name, please? Nestor. Nestor? Yeah. <laughs> okay. I, so was, I just so <laughs> was not expecting that. Okay. So at the very beginning of this session... Um, The wife and children just simply ask for him and anything that he wants to say. And they've booked a whole hour and tell me that they're just interested in only that. So there are boundaries around all of the other services. And Nestor begins by saying, Karen, I passed of cancer. I was given a diagnosis of five years to live, but I lived six And I could see him show me five and six with his hands, but I could also hear him say it. So I began and told them that, and they said that was correct. And they said, do you have any more about that? Is that all he's telling you around how he died? Like, is that it? And I said, well, I don't know. That's just the fact. I'll give you messages with it, but that is something he wants to say that's factual for you. So that if you're skeptical and his son goes, oh, I'm, I'm who he's talking to. <laughs> like this. That's nice that he identified himself. Yeah. He goes, Karen, I'm here with an open heart. He goes, I want to hear from my dad. Mm-hmm. He goes, but I've just never done this. So doesn't it make sense? I'm skeptical to some degree. And I said, I'm totally fine with that. I'm just going to give you things like those types of facts and then more detailed messages around personality. Oh, he says, that's what I'm looking for. He goes, I want... Interesting. Yeah. That's not what I would have anticipated from someone who called themselves a skeptic. I thought they would have wanted the diagnosis of five years, death in six years, what we call the hard stuff. Me too. So then his... But that's beautiful. That's beautiful. I'm I'm not... uh, I'm pleasantly surprised. Yeah. So then Nestor says to me, well, I'm going to tell you a little bit more around that, Karen. He says, when I was diagnosed, he said, the doctor told me and my wife exactly um, what I was going to go through over a period of time. He said, that was terrible, Karen, because the probability of me losing my mobility was like 100% over the five years was going to end up bedridden. And he told me it would go from a walker to a wheelchair to uh, a bed, confined to a bed, needing full care. Um, He says, but he also told me that I was going to lose my ability to speak. Mm. And he says, um, so we had to sit down, my wife and I first, and come to some decisions as to how we were going to get through that. And he goes, and we decided that I wanted assisted death. 
He said, I wanted to die with grace and dignity. And he said, and I didn't want to suffer. He says, so we tried to make a call based on what I thought I could tolerate that like at what point would this would this happen? And I wanted to go through the process of talking to the professionals, making the decisions, signing the papers, so that my wife wasn't going to have challenges with a with a medical community that said, Oh, well, we didn't get this signed mm-hmm. because they have their own protocols. So he said, We this is something that we went through. And then we shared it with the children and said, even we know you're adults, you know, we're not treating you like your children, but we didn't want that burden on them. We simply wanted to do it on our own as a couple and then present it to him. So his son confirms us. And then he says, do you have anything else around that period of time when my dad was like near the end? And I said, "Um, well, I said, he's showing me before the end he brings me back like quite early can I go there and he says yeah okay go ahead and I said um he's showing me um a video camera and like and cell phones but like the camera part where he's going for a walk and people are filming him laughing and walking and then he's got his walker and then he's being pushed in a wheelchair and he's saying messages and he's talking talking to it like he wants everybody to have these to be able to watch after he's passed. But they, he wants everybody to see the progression. And he does far more videos at the beginning. And they said, yes. He goes, I wanted, I wanted to hear that. I really wanted that confirmed. Thank you. And then his dad says to me, look here. Look at the bed. He says, um, I'm laying on the bed. And I said, yeah, okay. I can see that. I see you're laying in a bed. And he goes, um, what happens? Watch what happens when I'm laying on the bed. And so I just watched for a little while, and I see each of them come in and lay on the bed with him at different times. And I start, I can hear it like it's a movie. And I hear, okay, Dad, we're going to the beach. And I'm thinking, hmm? <laughs> how am I supposed to say that as a message? And he goes, no, no, you have to listen to this longer. You need longer, Karen. Be here. Kelly, it felt like I was actually there. And I can hear both of them talking about going to a beach. And you can see that they're laying on the bed side by side. They're both fully clothed. They're just talking about this imaginary place. Dad, what do you see on the beach? And he'll, he would say things, whatever. You know, he could, whatever he would make up that that's what he's seeing on the beach. And she'd try to see if she saw the same thing. And so this is something that all of them did with him for a long period of time, like well over a year, where they would take time to lay down and visualize going to the beach, who was at the beach. Dad, do you see me on the beach? Dad, I see you on the beach. What are we doing? And they did these things together quite regularly, hoping that when he passed away, that they would be able to meet each other on the beach. And that this was a family plan. That's beautiful. Yeah. And I, I, I mean, my God, Kelly, you, you and I are so, we are so fortunate that we get to actually experience something like that and be able to tell this family. Mm-hmm. And so his daughter says to me, you are nailing it. 
And I said, oh, thank you. I said, that's, that's all accurate. And she said, not only is it accurate, she says, and not only does it validate for all three of us, because all three of us did it with him, but we wrote it down on a piece of paper, hoping that dad was going to bring this up today. Mm. And, and we don't want to say it in a way that it sounds like, let's call up Karen and write things on a piece of paper and test her. That's not what we're trying to do. We were trying to think of key things that we did with dad, hoping that he might bring up even one of them. And you, you talked about the videos that we created with him, and you're talking about the times when we laid on the bed beside him, talking about going someplace with him, hoping that when he passed, we'd still be able to go to the beach and be with him. Mm-hmm. And that we would figure out what he would see on that beach. And if there were new things, because he's passed, that that would be okay for us, because we had new things while he was alive. We just got to point it out and share it, and we got used to it. Mm-hmm. And I just thought, what a great idea. Not that I wish this situation on anybody. But they were figuring out how to be in love during a crisis. Yes. Yeah. It gave them all a focus in it, too. It mm-hmm. gave them all work to do on themselves and on e- with each other. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because the anxiety can grip you and take hold. And then the crisis and the, the health issues itself just take your time away, take your energy yeah. away. Yeah. So if you're giving the whole family a focus, um, a, a collaborative focus, then you all get to be present. You're all asked to be present at one thing instead of trying to figure out what's the most important What's the priority? Where and when do we give the focus? Like there's just mm-hmm. some security, some answers in, in a very uncertain time. Mm-hmm. And Nestor tells me that th- that activity with them helped him through pain. Yeah, visualization. Yeah. And I told, I told the three of them that, you know, that he said that. And you could see, um, I, don't, I don't know what the word would be. You can't really say happiness because you know somebody that you love is in pain. But I guess there is some level of happiness or maybe it's a, maybe English sucks Mm -hmm. that we don't have the right word to describe different types of happiness. Um, Because I don't want to just call it relief because relief doesn't really describe a happiness, right? So maybe like a content. Yeah, okay, let's go with content. That's good. Thank you. Then Nestor says to me, Kelly, can we, can we hit pause here? He says, I, I need to take time to talk to my wife. And I really do want my children to be able to hear what I'm saying to her. He says, before, he says, Karen, you're going to have to listen to me, first of all, for a little while. So tell them that because you're going to call it a download. But I have to tell you and show you a whole bunch of things because I want it all in context for my wife and I don't want pauses. He says, I've been working on the other side a lot. And he says, and I also did a lot of work in the last six years on earth. He says, but I want to back it up to before I got diagnosed. He says, because I want to say to my wife, and now I'm going to start, I'm going to tell you everything that came through. He goes, Karen, he says, I was an asshole. He said, we had a terrible marriage, 
And he said, before I got diagnosed, we hated each other. We didn't want to be together, and the kids know that. And our children are adults. They don't understand other than the fact that dad got diagnosed, so mom felt sorry for him, so mom stayed with him till he died. Or did mom stay, you know, for the pension? Did mom stay, like, you know, for the money? Like, or did she stay out of guilt? Like, all of these things. And they, they're confused. They don't understand it. They've asked her. She's answered it honestly. But it's hard to believe. Mm-hmm. He says, it's all hard to believe. He says, because I didn't treat any of them well. And he says, and you just heard what a beautiful story we had in the last six years of finding this beach. And it sounds like we're just such a lovely family. When in reality, before I got diagnosed, this was not a lovely family in the least. And he says, and all of that was on me. He says, I worked full time. I had a pension. I had benefits. I had a really good income. And he said, and my wife and I, before we had kids, decided that she was going to stay home and raise children. So we made that choice. And he said, and that is what we both wanted. And that is exactly what we did. She she kept her bargain. She fully worked full time as a mom. She was totally engaged in it, really wanted that and, and me working and us as a couple. He says, but I got in my head that I'm the one that was making the money. So I could go out for lunch. I could go out for supper. I could do what I wanted, but she didn't have an income. It was my money. He said, so over time, I started saying things like, we don't have money for you to go out for lunch. Why are you buying the kids that? We don't have money for that. But then I turned around and I did things for me because I thought, it's my money. So you ask someone to not work and then hold them in captivity. Yes. And he goes, that is... And breed with them. Yeah. He goes, and that is exactly what I did. And he said, and then I started feeling better than. Mm -hmm. I felt better than her. I felt better than my children. I felt better than other people in society, especially women who didn't work. He says, I really became an ignorant person. And he said, and I was really unkind to my children and to my wife. And he said, um, I want to point that out because what happened as a result of me doing that was that I withheld. I withdrew. He said, I became what you and Kelly would call an abuser. Because the number one form of abuse is withholding. And he goes, I was like king of withholding. Withholding affection, withholding love, withholding money, withholding whatever it is that I that I wanted to, and he says, and I wielded that around, and then I dished it out whenever I wanted it, to, whenever I felt like I was ready to, or it pleased me to. But that also fed my my feelings of I'm a good person. Hmm. And he said, but my wife went into people pleasing me. I'm I'm more baffled that anything fed his idea that I'm a good person. (laughs) Sorry, my brain just tripped up on that last part. And I glossed right over that because I'm so mad at him. (laughs) How how do you, (laughs) 
Interesting. Yeah. Anyway, go on. That's, yeah. that's his story. And I say I'm mad at him now just listening to the story. Yeah. But at the time in the session, of course, you're not because... No, the soul has learned and is trying to tell you where I was and where I got to. Yeah, and, and in the session when he's saying that, I'm so happy for him at the time because he's moving along and learning all of these lessons and he's showing up to share this now. So he starts to talk about his wife and he says, Karen, she went into people-pleasing me. She tried to figure out what she was doing wrong. She thought, what, what is wrong? What, what are the kids doing wrong? So she tried to correct the kids. And he says, and I could see that. And I thought, oh, well, whatever. You go ahead and correct the kids. Because if it suits me, that's great. I can, I can like that. And if it doesn't suit me, I'll, I'll just let her know by being mean to the kids. And then she can continue to try to correct them. So she's, tr she's trying to keep the kids as good kids. Mm -hmm. And he can see that. And he's fine with it. And he says, I was good with all of that. I just, that just built me up more and more. And he said, and then when I got diagnosed, he said, my wife said to me, I think you should go talk to the minister. You're going to die. And I don't know how to help you. The minister will know more about God and death and all that stuff. So you go talk to the minister. So he makes his way into the minister's office and the minister, you know, says, you know, what's going on, Nestor? And he says, oh, I've been diagnosed with cancer. It's terminal. They say five years at the most. And he says, so, you know, the wife thought I should come here to talk about death and that you're the guy that knows all about death like this because you're the God guy. And he and the minister start having these conversations just about life. Well, so tell me. So have you been living life? And he says, well, why would you want to know that? And he says, well, you know, because sometimes that'll help me understand what you believe about what death is. And he says, so, you know, Nestor, just tell, you know, just talk a little bit and I'll get to know you. And so as time goes on, the minister says to Nestor, I think you need a therapist. That's good. He says, I'm not a therapist. I, I'm a minister. He says, you know, and I do understand that I have some knowledge. He says, we do study some things. I feel like I could tell you some stuff, but I, I'm, I personally haven't been married. And I wouldn't treat a wife the way you're treating yours. And Nestor looks at him like, what? I'm a good person. Yeah, it's debatable. Yeah. And the minister says, yeah, I don't think you are. He said that that isn't what God or I would think is a good person. Okay, and so for the context of anyone listening or just stumbling upon our show, we're not religious. No. This is just Nestor's story yeah. of his minister and his religion. That's right. Yeah. Not not my opinion or yours. Yeah. Or, or judgments or anything. So he, Nestor goes to a therapist. And I got to say here at this point, personally, I think kudos to him because, you know, prior to the diagnosis of terminal cancer, he really thought he was the only person that should tell him how to run his own life. And now he's letting a doctor tell him, a minister and a therapist. So the therapist talks to him and says, you have a two-faced system. You, you have two belief systems. You have one for yourself because of money, so you put certain value on money, and then you have a different system for your wife. He says, but I have a question to ask you. He says, 
does your wife have a pension and benefits? And Nestor says, well, no. And he says, well, why doesn't she if you do? And he goes, what do you mean? I'm the one working. He goes, well, no, you made an agreement that you were both working through life. And he says, I want you to tell my wife and the kids that. They need to hear that the therapist told me that. They need to know that I got told these things. That I was confronted by the fact that we agreed that we were both going to work full time. And then I went out and got the job with the pension and the benefits and the, and the cash. And my, my, my wife was relying on all of those Sharing. things to share. And then I decided, yeah, I'm not going to share. And not only am I not going to share, but I'm not even going to think about your own future, whether you want to be with me or not. So I could choose to leave you and I still would have all of this but you wouldn't have any of these things. You wouldn't have any of that. So the therapist said to him, "Um, you have really core beliefs here that create inequity. Can you see why your wife is people-pleasing you? And then she people-pleases you, and it annoys you, and then you withhold and you you treat her even worse, so she people-pleases you even more. But now you're angry and you think she's a nothing of a human being, because she's people-pleasing you, that she doesn't even have any self-respect. And so you don't have any for her either. But can you see the conundrum that you've put your partner in? Because she, in good faith, made an agreement with a partner who reneged on the agreement at the very beginning and then did not go through to meet any of the needs that she would have to see her through life. And now she has a partner who's dying in five years, and you have the pension and the benefits. So is she's trying to figure out, do I stay and will I even get them? And have you even told her how she will go forward when you die? And he goes, no, I haven't told her. Yet she's there beside you planning your assisted death and your care. Yeah. Yeah. And this is where he comes through to really say to his wife and his two kids in the session with full honesty, that he got confronted by the minister and by the therapist, and that they made a hell of a team together to confront him, and to confront and to give him clarity and a perspective from her shoes instead of his. Mm-hmm. And that each time he wanted to come out of it and say things to them, uh, you know, and they didn't give me any examples about that, but they just said, or he just said to me, any time that, that he wanted to come outside of that, that the therapist and the minister said, no, 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 no. You have to understand it from her perspective. So at this point, Kelly, he fully discloses everything to all three of them, apologizing to his wife for all of these things, confirming for her and for the children that thankfully, because of these other two people in his life, he came clean before he died to make sure that his wife and his children were financially cared for, for the house, for the pension, for the benefits, for everything, for life insurance, for all of it. And thanks her um, from the bottom of his heart that through all of this, she managed to keep her own dignity. She managed to love these children even though, you know, she can honestly say I did teach them to people-please him, 
but she's coming through to say, but I'm figuring that out now because I'm in therapy and I'm apologizing for those things. And we're, the three of us are fixing the family now. And he's acknowledging how much he's trying to say, I'm sorry for all of the things I did. I can see all the work you're doing to fix it. And I'm showing up today to own my part, to apologize, to acknowledge, and to say I do love all of you. And the very last message from Nestor to all three of them was that he could see that they were now working on trying to forgive him. And that he understood that that was going to take time, but that he wanted to be part of it by showing up to fill in all of the gaps, to say it from his own voice, so that when mom was trying to explain all of these things, and she said, your father said, and your father, that now they could sit there and go, yeah, we heard it. We heard it because Karen told us, because dad said it. And he's Nestor's filling in some of the gaps, but he's also repeating some of the things she's already told them, mm-hmm. which is solidifying it for them. Yeah. yeah, when you spend a lifetime undermining your partner, how do your adult children trust their mom? Exactly. Through no fault of mom. Yeah, exactly. So he's now doing his best from the other side, coming through me a medium, trying to say, okay, this is my way to show up finally. So he's not, he's not missing it this time. Mm-hmm. It's, it's beautiful. You're giving the whole family a way forward. Mm-hmm. It's at times like that, Kelly, in a session particularly like this with Nestor, his wife and his two children, that I am so grateful that I fight to be a medium, mm. that I, I, I stand up to the people that are not just skeptical, but ignorant, or um, just doing the work. Just Mm -hmm. being honest enough in my day-to-day life that the spirit world even wants to communicate with me. Mm -hmm. All of the different things that we do as mediums that make us who we are so that we can have these relationships with the spirit world just made me so happy. You did a beautiful job. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Coffee with the Sarlows. If you enjoyed the show today, help spread the love with a like, share, or review of the podcast. See you next Saturday with a brand new episode.